Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining Stephanie and myself today is Jean-Vierre Dozer, a global speaker, founder and CEO of Warpaint Consulting, board director of Paytech Women, and advisory board member for Money 2020. Welcome to the show, Jen, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, um, before the show started, we actually joked a little bit about a alternative, really romantic, cute French pronunciation for your name, Jean-Vierre Dozier. So, I guess we're not going to go there. But before, <laughs> let let let's start with your journey, um, and and I want to hear a little bit more about your latest company, Warpaint Consulting. That that name sounds really cool. It it reminds me of like uh someone out there saying you know hey we have a mission we're calling people to action we need to do something but clearly i can be completely off base so i'll give you the the mic tell us a little bit more about how you get to where you are right now and what you're doing yeah so i'll start with uh, my journey and, and i definitely will get into war paint consulting and the reason behind the name and and um, the actions specifically around the word war paint. Um, so, you know, it's funny, I tell people I have been in the industry, in the payments industry, an intentional almost 17 years. I say unintentional because I started at the age of 15 in 1999 with a worker's permit working at a roadside farmer's market that was here local at the beach. And I worked there during the summer so I could have my own money. I had my own car um, and it was a hard job. It was completely outside in summer in humid North Carolina. Um, and we had tourists that would come from the Northeast predominantly and they wanted all of the local fruits and vegetables to take with them to their beach house that they were staying at for the week. But with that, I got the great experience of, you know, going through the rotten potatoes and throwing them out, restocking the produce, um, working the cash register, working the credit card terminal, uh, working the way scale. Um, and then I just continued that, honestly, throughout high school and college, working different jobs that always involved the, the point of sale system. Uh, I even worked at New York and Company in college and uh, on Black Friday. So I was there at like 5 a.m. in the mall and we had a you know, line of 20 plus people and the point of sale went down, right? We lost connectivity. And so I was offlining transactions, calling the um, you know, 800 number and using a knuckle, butter, knuckle buster with the imprinter slips, you know, imprinting the cards. Um, which I don't, you can't even do today now because they're, they're not embossed anymore. So I, um, I, I stopped kind of saying 17 years and now I'm dating myself to 1999 because while it wasn't my, you know, full-time job, I still had great experience that I've leveraged today talking to merchants and talking to processors, um, about the history of merchant services and the evolution. And so that's really been the primary area of my career has been the acquiring side. I worked on the issuing side um, for a year on debit and a little bit um, longer on credit. Um, and I, I tell people it was just as boring as I thought it would be. You literally just issue cards. <laughs> uh, and no offense to people who love it, it just wasn't for me. Uh, I learned a lot about that process of sending the cards out and using the different vendors and the cost of the cards and with the chip versus not chip and living through 
that. Um, but I really loved being on the acquiring side and all the different payments technology that you could bring to the merchant and make their life easier, help the consumer experience be a better, the cardholder experience be a better one, um, and then also help the business owner save money um, or spend more if it was worth it, right? Um, once the acquiring industry really started focusing on value-added solutions, um, as it became very commoditized, you know, we saw the race to zero with interchange pricing and the change in pricing strategies. Um, and then, uh, and then, I mean, just kind of continued from there, right? You have, you know, software vendors and integrated payments and embedded payments and all of those things. So I've, I've lived through all of those. I've, I launched EMV, right? I launched Apple Pay as I was head of product at BBNT. I was there for 10 years. Um, I ultimately reported to the president. I was the youngest and only female on the executive leadership team of a company that processed 18 billion in annual payments volume um, and managed 60,000 merchant services relationships. Um, and I thought I had made it. <laughs> um, that was the dream job. I was head of product pricing, marketing, sales support, sales training, and I led our national sales um, opportunities as well. Um, and I got to a point, and we can we'll talk more about that. But I, I got to a point where I um, I wanted a change, and so I left there and took what I thought was going to be a great opportunity at a global company. I moved my whole family there at the time. My kids were two and um, or excuse me, four and six. And we moved to a different state. My husband became a stay-at-home dad to support me in my career. And um, six weeks into the job, I hated it. <laughs> I didn't like the company. I didn't like the culture. I didn't like the role. Um, and so I started getting really good at networking and um, figuring out, finding a mentor, figuring out what it is that I wanted. Um, and so I, I found that in a company and then was, was thriving there. And 18 months later, the company was acquired um, by a much larger company. Um, and then another year, uh, two years later, that company was acquired again. So I lived through um, three acquisitions or two acquisitions within three years. Um, I left that large company after several years and went to a small fintech startup in my last role where I was chief business development officer. And in that role for a year, I led uh, strategy and transformation to set the company up to be in the best position they could to grow the business. Um, and um, and then had some life, life changes happen and I um, left that company. And my mother-in-law passed away unexpectedly. Um, and so I had to take on a caregiver role for my father-in-law all of a sudden. Um, not planned. <laughs> and so that kind of that took a front seat, honestly. And during that process, it allowed me to take some time and evaluate uh, my career. I feel like I don't know if this is like a midlife crisis for a career, a midlife career crisis. But I think it's just after 17 years of doing strategy and transformation for so many other companies. And even in my role at First Data Pfizer, I worked with 40 different companies helping them with their strategy, right? So I, I mean, you know, at this point, dozens of companies that I've helped. And I kind of got to the point where it was like, why not me? Like, why not do it for myself? 
um, and see and see what can come of that and have the freedom um, you know to, to not have someone telling me what to do and where to be and when to do it um, and and but it took me a while to get to that point to have that feeling of fearlessness to be confident enough to become a founder um, and then so I'll pause here. Um, I know you asked about war paint consulting, so I'll, I'll kind of transition there. Um, and I, um, war paint consulting, really the name of it is derived from my upcoming book. So I'll, t I'll talk more about that, um, I think later during our, our podcast here. And um, really the, the theory around it is, I, you know, it's funny when I was at, um, you know, different companies, leaders would ask me, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to be in product? Do you want to do in sales? Do you want to be in business development? Do you want to be in marketing? And I really hated that question because I was like, I don't want you to put me in a box. Like I can do all of these different things. And I like doing like all of the different things. Like I would get really bored if you just put me in the box. Um, and so that's part of what War Paint Consulting is. It's, it's out of the box. And so it's really providing um, payments strategy consulting to companies that need help with transformation and strategy. So like, for example, I'm working with one right now that's trying to decide if they want to become an ISO or a payment facilitator, right? And then helping them in that process. Because a lot of people look at merchant solutions and look at the acquiring side and think it's easy and then get in there and realize it's not. It's extremely complicated. And so someone like me who's been in it that long and worked with that many companies can really guide them on who they should probably work with or at least who to bid on, who to get them to bid on their business, uh, well as you know what payment gateways are out there and the, and the best ones to integrate into software and things like that. Um, so that would be kind of what I call is like the, the payments part of it, the payments professional where I'm the payments guru, if you will. Um, and then the second part of it is helping companies with their people training. Um, so I would come in and provide leadership training, um, specifically, you know, leading with authenticity and um, other, you know, areas, self-care, um, you know, around that, um, including payments training, too, um, for their employees, just to get them up to speed. A lot of people are entering the payment space right now and have no payments background. Um, and you really do need to understand the history of it to understand where we're at today and why it matters and, and you know, what then trends we And um, so then the, the second part of War Paint Consulting is more on the personal side. So unrelated to payments only because of my background, but actually doing one-on-one -on -one mentoring and coaching with just individuals, so not related to payments. They could be in any space, any industry, healthcare, um, any education, any industry, um, and really taking the, the skills that I've learned from the payments industry as a, as a woman in business, uh, as a professional, and translating that over to help others. Um, as well as providing training and then, and then motivational speaking um, at different events as well. So that's really what War Paint Consulting is all about. It's taking what I've learned and, and helping others, in essence.
very exciting. Congratulations on work consulting. And thank you for taking the time to share a little bit more about your background and your story. I mean, obviously we've known each other for several years. And I think one thing that we failed to mention in the beginning is you're also an award-winning payments professional. You've gotten the 40 under 40 for ETA. You've gotten multiple awards through Money 2020 and also um, Paytech, formerly known as the Women's Network and Electronic Transactions. So Theodore, I'm truly honored to have you here with us, um, Genevieve. So earlier this year, you wrote about taking the stage at Money 2020 in Vegas, and you talked about your own personal experience. Um, <clears throat> Unlike then, it was powerful and authentic and something that really takes courage, right? Like bravery amongst other things. So can you walk us through, uh, what do you mean when you say leading with your authentic self and why is that so important? Yeah, no, it's, well, thank you, Stephanie, for mentioning my, my accolades. I appreciate that. I, I worked really hard and, you know, it's funny when I um, won some of those awards, I think starting in 2019, really, I, I finally saw myself in a different light, like, like, hey, I, I deserve this, you know, like I've worked hard. And so it was, it was a really great experience and enlightening um, one for me. But yeah, so leading with the self, something I'm very passionate about now, because I felt like I didn't do it in the first 10 years of my career. The first 10 years of my career were focused on keep my head down, do a good job, get noticed by that and in my eyes play by the rules right and what were the rules right it was to get promoted within a regional southern conservative bank and so that was you know looked the part it was the navy blue blazer right it was the more traditional you know heels i was even told at one point when i went to headquarters to wear pantyhose a navy blue skirt suit and my hair straight um and this was in you know 2006 so it wasn't the 1980s it was 2006. um and you know i think back to a woman that i ended up hiring and was mentoring right because she asked me like hey how do i you know i want to get promoted at at the bank as well and i told her what people had told me cover your tattoos you know, and she was a, a multi-ethnicity woman. She was, um, you know, Caucasian, Puerto Rican, um, and, and African-American as well. And so I gave her the same advice, straight hair, cover your tattoos, wear the pantyhose, wear the skirt suit. And, you know, I feel bad. I, like, I felt bad for, for a, a few weeks ago. I was telling someone about this story. And they were like, don't feel bad because that, that's what she needed to do to succeed in that particular environment. Um, and it was it was very true. And so there were things, too, though, that I hid about myself that I didn't lie about, but I didn't share with people, you know, proactively. Or if there were things that come in the come up in conversation, I just would kind of like laugh or, I, you know, just kind of like breeze through where, where I didn't, you know, things that they were saying weren't applicable to me. But I just, you know, played along, if you will. And that didn't get you know, it got me promoted, right? Like I said, I was I was the job I wanted to do, but I wasn't at the end of the day truly happy. So, so actually, it was during the process of uh, applying for one of those awards you mentioned, Stephanie. Specifically, it was uh, the Money Twenty Twenty Rise Up application, and this is something actually I'm speaking at Money Twenty Twenty um, next week, and this is something I'm going to share with the participants for them to do 
because in the application it said write down your biography it didn't say bio and so my brain went you know more than a few sentences is what they want you know like your standard bio is like three to five sentences you know on, on who you are your your career and so i truly i think i even you know searched up what is a biography you know and so i truly started with i was born in texas you know and i went through my childhood and my high school and then my career journey but in doing so i realized these truly pivotal moments of my life that um you know really told me who i was and it was extremely powerful and so realizing that and then applying it to my life and telling people that story completely um, gave me a confidence I had never had before. And so that's when I talk about my truly authentic self is, you know, talking about a lower economic background that I have. And at a point in my life, I had, you know, no home to live in with my family. And so in essence, I realized I was homeless for a point, but I had never said that to anyone. I never even written that down or had that realization. It was just going through life again, just trying to to do what I was supposed to do to succeed. And I was a victim of sexual assault when I was a child by a family member. I um, was bullied in school, but I still worked. And because of those things, that's what drove me. It was my relentless uh, pursuit of uh, perseverance to get out of that situation I was in. And that's what drove me to be a first gen college grad. And I went to a private women's college and I'm still paying the student loans, but it was the best experience of my life. Um, and so I hid that in my career because I felt like that's what you were supposed to do. I also hid my tattoos. I love my tattoos because each one represents a really a memorable experience for me or, or person in my life. Um, and so I've, I've hid my tattoos. And so those are things that now I've realized throughout my career that if you come to people with your authentic story, with your authentic self, you will also empower them to be their authentic self and, and you will provide them the confidence they need to do the same. And you'll realize the people that you should be surrounding yourself with are people, you know, I, uh, I, I love the saying, I, I can't take credit for it, is that, you know, don't change so people will like you, be the real you and the right people will love you. And that is such a powerful statement and it's so true. And so that's what I focused um, now on. was an amazing story. I remember reading part of it in a LinkedIn post that you had earlier in the year, just to be able to get to the point and, and realize everything that's going on with your lives and, and be able to actually talk about it and give inspiration to others. It's, it's amazing. I, I just want to say thank you, um, for everything you do. Uh, Switching gear a little bit, you mentioned you've been in payments for many, many years. You've gone through different roles, looking at the industry, at uh, 
different angles and perspectives, if you will, being literally in the belly of the beast. The industry itself has gone through quite a few changes and is still going through um, many, many changes. I am curious, from your perspective, what surprises you the most with regard to, for example, what's been going on lately? And are we actually focusing on the right things? Are there things that we should be thinking about when it comes to payments and movement of money? Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. Um, so I, I'm going to share a bad surprise and a good surprise. <laughs> um, because yeah, I, I feel like I have lived through everything again on the, and focus on the acquiring side. Um, you know, I lived through the Durban Amendment and, and the interchange there and, and back in 2010 and having to explain that to everyone and being the redhead, redheaded stepchild of, of the bank where, you know, everyone loved issuing the, and the interchange revenue that issuing brought in. Um, you know, but honestly, I think the thing that's been a thorn in my side the last several years has been cash discount and merchant surcharge and just these merchant services providers and the land grab for revenue um, where, you know, I've always been of the mindset of, of do the right thing. And I think that's probably where, you know, I collided sometimes with the client service, <laughs> head of client service, um, because I was like, why are we why are we charging them so much? And they're like, oh, because we can, you know, they haven't called and complained yet. And I was like, this is crazy, you know, and now the whole the industry as a whole, and I, I, I felt like this would go away at some point or there would be regulation. And I think there there may be some coming, but, you know, people are like, well, Visa says we can charge 4%. So let's charge 4% and then they'll charge 4% to the cardholder. And I was like, and then the merchant gets processing for free. And I was like, well, yes, but does this make sense? You know, and I, I still struggle with it today because the trend is is continuing. Um, and, and it's not going away. Um, and so that that is my bad, my bad surprise um, around cash discount and surcharge, because I always really prided myself on educating um, merchants of any size, whether you're small or, or large enterprise, government, college, you know, higher institutions on the different rules and regs that the car brands had around a true convenience fee versus a tax, you know, fee versus a surcharge, you know, and now you have the whole surcharge versus cash discount and people are really taking advantage um, of the businesses with this. And I mean, their, their margins are going any, you know, where it was maybe 60 basis points that they were earning per transaction. And now they're, you know, around 180 basis points or more um, on that transaction. And it's, and it's all on the cart, the cardholders backs now because that's being passed along. So that's a thorn in my side <laughs> that I just I just don't agree with it. Like my my core values and ethics just don't agree with it. it I feel like there just has to be another way. Um, you yeah, know, I, that, I, I can tell you as a as a, from the consumer point of view, if there is one thing that truly upsets my husband with gas stations is when he thinks he's getting the deal based on the price that's advertised. And then as soon as he drives over to the pump, He'll notice the price difference between credit card and cash payments. <laughs> so you just well, really made me think about that. No, well, yeah, it's so true because my husband now he knows way too much about payments, even though he could, you know, he could care less. Um, he he restores and and works on you know performance cars, but um, you know what what really I think drives me crazy is these businesses as well as the providers are doing it 
not in compliance. You know, they're they're doing it against the car brand regulations. Um, and they're just, you know, they're not getting fined or they're not getting found out. And so they're just continuing to do it. And so I think if we could really focus on trying to um, crack down on that, it would just be better for, for everyone. Um, but I won't, I won't end it on a negative. I'll end it on a positive. And this is not something that I've actually ever worked in, but it's something that I just found so exciting and fun. And that's the metaverse. Like when everyone was talking about the metaverse, I was like, what is this thing called the metaverse? <laughs> and so it's it's funny. I actually, I attended a conference earlier in the year and I attended a session that they talked more about it. And so I, I did my own personal research on it. And I, I asked my 12 year old son a lot of questions because even though he doesn't know it, he lives in the metaverse um, within his bedroom. And so when we talk about the metaverse, it's, you know, the, the gaming, like my, I mentioned my son, you know, even working, how, how we changed, how we worked with the pandemic, um, with shopping, with attending experiences like co um, concerts. Um, I love the, the phrase crossover commerce where, you know, you're, you're doing your Peloton and then it's like, hey, do you want to click and buy the instructor's yoga pants. Like, yes, I do. And so now we're, we're crossing over and, and we're buying things in the metaverse. And an interesting statistic they shared was in Q1 of this year, 127 companies mentioned the word metaverse in their earnings report, including brands like Nike. And this was up 300% from last year. Um, and, and it'll bring things like 6G networks because it needs that you know speed to um, really power everything. But, you know, I mentioned my, my son, right? So when you think about if you have kids, right? Roblox, Fortnite, Discord, online communications, those are all in the metaverse. Um, there was actually a survey I read as well that said 62% of millennials and Gen Z stated that their augmented reality, they believe in the future will be more important than their actual reality which I, I fully, I think, you know, our, our kids' generation will be interesting to see. Um, I also read about one company is outfitting all their new employees with an Oculus for onboarding trainings and meetings, um, and that COVID really progressed us five years within two months as far as digital capabilities surrounding this concept of the metaverse. Um, also read during the pandemic, cyber attacks increased by 81%. This led to MasterCard partnering with Coinbase to help protect consumers. So I just, again, it's not something I've worked with, but I've just, I've always loved researching just industry trends. And this is one that I definitely think we should keep an eye on. Yeah, great, great example. I mean, we're, we're hearing a lot about like Nike's success and the, the metaverse they've sold like, are they over 185 million? They've earned 100, over 185 million dollars in the metaverse from like selling Nike shoes. That's mind boggling. Oh. <laughs> um, so let's pivot a little bit more on something that you've been hinting at over social media um, the last several months. And I know we talked about it a few weeks ago at Paytech Women too. Um, we we all know by now that you are working on a new book. Uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Why why a book, and and why now? You certainly have a very um, a very interesting background, very interesting story as well. And 
lots of inspirational thoughts. And I remember you had mentioned that um, you, you used to write poems as a child. <laughs> so I'd love to hear how all of this is coming together for you now um, in a book. Please tell us. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you asked, Stephanie. I'm actually um, really excited that this will be the um, launch of. I'm gonna I'm gonna read two excerpts of my book, and that will be the first time that I've shared that with anyone. Um, actually, anyone. <laughs> I haven't shared it with anyone. So this, I'm, I'm really excited to to do that. Um, and as you mentioned, so I'll I'll I'll, I'll take a step back. So. It was back when I won ETA top 40 under 40 and I and I was really starting to try to create more of a LinkedIn presence and I someone told me you should write an article. So I wrote I wrote an article based on um, my top 40 under 40 nomination. And that was really the first time I talked about some of my struggles as a working mom in payments. And I got a tremendous amount of feedback on that article. Like someone even mentioned, oh, you're such a great writer. And I was like, what, really? Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer? Um, and, and this was back in 2019. And um, so I had been in my career for 13 years. And, you know, I had also attended several years prior, I attended a week-long leadership institute that incorporated some, um, therapy type analysis with a psychologist. So I actually did some hip hypnosis and things that helped me kind of figure out what was going on with me to help me be a better leader. And one of the things that the gentleman, the psychologist told me in our, our, our end of week debrief was that his analysis was at a point in my life, I took off the me hat and I put on the wife hat. And then at a point I took off the wife hat and I put on the mom hat and it all, all while still having my career hat on. Right. And so it was in, really interesting for me to kind of look back to your point, Stephanie um, and, um, and Theo, my, my mother actually a few months ago. So it was actually in um, February, she, gave me a box of things that she had kept from my middle school and high school. And I was scared to look in it, honestly, because I saw like journals and diaries and I was like, I am not trying to relive that mess. Um, but, but one thing I found in it to Stephanie's point was a poem and I didn't even remember writing it. And then I also found that newspaper articles that I had read, because I, I wrote for the newspaper in high school. I also wrote articles in the yearbook because I was the yearbook editor. Um, and all of these things just started like rushing back over me of forgetting who I was um, as a writer. And so over the last several years, I've, I've written several articles on LinkedIn. Theo, to your point, I wrote a, a LinkedIn post back in February, where that was the first time I shared some of my childhood experiences with the LinkedIn community. And it, it was funny, I was actually motivated by a post I saw of a CEO that I know, a founder and CEO I know, a male one. Um, and he shared his beautiful current home that in my eyes looked like a mansion. <laughs> um, and, it, and, and he talked in the post about his you know, lower economic background. 
And I thought about that post. I was like, you know what? That post would have been more impactful to me if it would have shown his childhood home. And so that actually inspired me to take a picture of one of my childhood homes, which was a single wide trailer. And I, so I posted that up with, with parts of my background. And can I tell you, ladies, it has over 220,000 views. It had almost 3,000 um, a reaction, you know, hundreds of comments, hundreds of people reached out to me directly, shared similar stories, thanking me for sharing my story. And so it just revalidated that I needed to share what I've experienced with others. And I started writing my book back in February. Um, and it's titled, My Makeup is My War Paint, How to Stand Your Ground and Succeed in the War of Being a Woman in Business. And so to your earlier point, Theo, war paint consulting is, is from my makeup is my war paint. And so I'm going to read um, one ex at one except first, and then I'll read a second one. But this one kind of gets into where we talk about my makeup is my war paint. And so it's talking about when I was first interviewing for a job in college. So I'll read it now. The second round interview was in a different city. We stayed in a hotel, attended a CEO and networking dinner, and the next day toured the Banks University and had two interviews as well as took a caliper test. I was in the hotel room. My makeup was done, my hair was done, my suit was on. I had information in my mind on the bank that I had researched. I didn't know it then, but this would become my ritual to go to war as a woman in business. My makeup is my war paint, my hair is my helmet, my suit is my body armor, my knowledge is my shield, and my confidence is my weapon. And here's what I mean by that. So I'll stop there as a teaser. <laughs> um, and then I wanna share one other excerpt that I read this morning that I feel a lot will resonate with. Um, I had to use our office supply closet to pump. Our administrative assistant would give me the only set of keys when I went in so I knew no one could accidentally get into the closet while I was pumping. I had to sit on a step stool and I had my pump bag on the shelf next to the printer paper. One day, my boss and his peer thought it would be funny to rattle the doorknob and shake a set of keys like they were coming in while I was pumping. I was horrified and scrambling for the door so they wouldn't come in as my breasts were exposed, forgetting in the moment that I had the only set of keys. They eventually went away, and when I came out fully put back together, they were standing at the AA's desk laughing, we got you, like it was a funny, harmless prank in their view. The administrative assistant just shook her head as I walked by. That is a mic drop moment, my friend. Um, I'm at a complete loss of words. I am unfortunately not shocked that it happened. I think many of us have many, many horror stories to tell, but I'm disgusted that it still happens in this day and age. This is wrong on so many levels, and I'm so sorry. Um, I... I am at complete loss of words, Stephanie. I need help. So am I. I mean, all I can think is, is, you know, when my friends from California, you know, 
she always goes back to people with people. Take it so hard at this point. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, power to you and kudos to you for being able to retell this story. Um, if you need help having a, a, you know, book burning party on someone else's stuff, count me in. Um, we will be there. So, um, when is the book coming out? We need to do a proper celebration. Yeah, I don't have a date yet, but um, I think once I get some some things situated, I'm I'm definitely gonna try to figure it out and really just you know it's it's funny I I have most of it written and I and I only did it in two sittings, so I just need to really just hunker down and and finish it. And to your point, it 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 has been hard to write it because I truly have been trying the best that I can to relive the moment in my head. Um, to give all of the descriptors. Um, and so some of it has been very, you know, put me in a very, you know, different emotional state writing it. But I think to your point, sharing those stories that things that are, are not as obvious, you know, that that some might think are, you know, smaller things that that they do have, you know, uh, you know, a, a high impact um, as well. Absolutely. I think, I think, Retelling those stories as painful as they are give power to many others who are probably suffering in silence and let them know that they are not alone. And it is a call, call for action. If I mean, so much has happened. I still remember back in the Me Too days um, when some of those stories were coming out. I was in an event in uh, San Francisco in the Valley, and and of course that was the heat, that the height of of the. Oh my God! The industry is shocked. Why were VCs behaving the way they were? Um, and yet, despite all of that, I witnessed with my own eyes, the same things just keep happening. Events after events, I would have founders come over and tell me, oh, my God, you can't believe what just happened. Um, I had locked myself in in um, bathrooms at an event because I did not dare to come out. And this is still happening. And this is 2022. I don't know, to be honest, what we can do to change it. The owner should not be on all of us to keep retelling the story. The onus should not be on us to make sure that people behave like adults the way they're supposed to. We need more male allies to step up to the plate. We need everyone to step up. The burden should not be on us to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. And yet, here we are. Let's end with this. If you are able to have that superpower, and you do, with your words and with your actions, with your experience, with your knowledge, with everything that you have, you have a superpower. If you can use that superpower to change one thing in our industry, what would that be, my friend? You know, it's, it's funny because 
um, I was asked when I moved, I moved back home to my hometown and I was asked to speak to the high school students and the middle school students. And I, after speaking with them, that's been a charge of mine. So it's, it's, you know, I've already been working with people in the industry and I would love to go beyond, uh, to, to reference your book, Theo, and, and really get to our youth. Because I feel like if you can start with them and to your point, teach them social skills, teach them kindness. I mean, truly show them real world experiences and the implications um, and even things that they're doing today. I mean, my, my son is suffering from bullying currently in middle school. And I feel like if we could get to that youth um, and, and teach them and really make it impactful then, then we would teach them, and even into colleges, right? Even into colleges, here's how we should act in the workplace, and and being being mindful of of others, and and that's really a charge that I would love to see a change in the future. Because I think if you really start with them, because I, I told, I just saw, I told my son, I was like, why do they keep teasing? I do they just not have anything to talk to you about? And I'm like, maybe that is like they just don't know how to communicate, right? I mean, I. I know I purposefully at a, at a women's conference we just had, I purposefully made it a point, you know, if I saw someone, even if they weren't, you know, close to me, I would go and compliment them on, you know, it wasn't like everyone, but if I happened to see something, right, it's how they were acting, maybe something I recently saw on LinkedIn, but it was just having those positive experience and reaching out to people and making connections. I think is how we just continue to change people's mindset and behaviors. And, and you have to lead by example. Um, so to your point, Theo, of earlier of, of now, if I'm in a room and some, you know, for an example that I've had recently within the last year, you know, a, a gentleman, a, a guy in the room says something to one of my female coworkers and she doesn't say anything, I will say something. Right. And I think to your point of, of showing the, the male allies, here's, you know, here's what you need to do. And then our, our younger generation of women that are coming up, you know, I had one that she said, oh, well, I didn't know we didn't offer maternity leave at this company. I was like, well, that's something you need to look into as you continue to grow in, in your career. And she was young 20s, but she just she didn't even know they didn't offer paid maternity leave. Um, and so it's just educating i think those and i again i'm really focused on trying to figure out what i can do for the, especially that younger generation just to make that youth a better experience and then that youth to then add a, you know change to to our industry i admire you for what you do um i admire a lot of women out there for what they do and thank you again um my makeup is my war paint. I love that uh, sentence. And uh, we look forward to reading your book. And we must have you back on here when the book is published. So we will do a proper celebration. For now, thank you so much for joining us today. And for the rest of you, we will talk to you all next week for another episode of One Vision. One Vision.